0: Welcome to Tattooed Freaks and Business Suits, recorded live in the kitchen of the Personal Touch Career Services in Denver, Colorado. I am your host, Donna Shannon. As a professional career coach, I help people navigate the hiring maids to get to jobs they really love. So in addition to working with Job Seekers one-on-one, I do have a book available. You can find How to Get a Job Without Going Crazy on Amazon and like on my website and stuff like that. So overall, our show's purpose is to explore and redefine the world of work, especially as Gen X, Millennials, and those to come after us seek positions of leadership that still allow them to be themselves. So every show we explore a topic related to business or job searching. And of course, we're gonna talk about tattoos. Our sponsor is the Personal Touch Career Services, Denver's top rated career coaching service. We focus on the practical tools for your job search including resumes, LinkedIn profiles, job search coaching, and ongoing classes. So please check out our ridiculously long website, personaltouchcareerservices.com. Once again, that's personaltouchcareerservices.com. Or, you know, you can just Google it. We have another special treat for you today. This is a section out of a presentation I did for our brown bag job search group to really explore a little bit more about what it takes to have an effective job search, what are some of these key metrics you need to be heading, and some suggestions for how to improve your results. So enjoy, and if you ever want to join us live for the brown bag job search group, we hold these monthly. Just find us on Meetup, again it's another ridiculously long name, brown bag job search group, and uh, you'll find us there. Thanks. So what I really wanna talk to you about today is how to evaluate your job search. One of the weaknesses I see a lot of job seekers fall into is how can you really tell if you're being successful in your job search? Well, you get a job, right? But that doesn't give us any of like the key metrics or ways to gain our success or to really see how we're doing along the way. And if you don't know how well you're doing, makes it very difficult to course correct and to get that new job as soon as possible, as well as being a job that you really want. So just a little bit more about me, for those of you who haven't met me yet, my name is Donna Shannon. I am a professional career coach, and I have been coaching people for over 15 years. Uh, Previous to this, my background was in human resources and recruiting. And way back in 2004 is kind of when I turned from the dark side and started teaching job searching classes, mostly because I was tired of having to cut qualified applicants who just didn't understand how the process worked. So everything kind of grew from there. I do have a book out there. It's called get a job without going crazy. Uh, I did also continue to do my business part time and teach part time for a long time. Before uh, in 2011 is when I basically stepped off the corporate cliff. I've been doing my company, my business full-time ever since, and uh, that's the Personal Touch Career Services. Uh, I am a national speaker. I've spoken at conferences from coast to coast. I've been an award-winning coach specifically for DEMA, the Estate Management Association, selected me as Educator of the Year, specifically for my work in helping job seekers understand that whole process and I'm a certified networking expert as well. But the fun fact was what you probably really care about is I'm actually a second degree black belt in Ishinru Karate, which is an Okinawan form. So you don't wanna meet me in a dark alley because I will take care of business. Mm -hmm. One of the things that my company offers is we do full service writing. So resumes, LinkedIn profiles, cover letters, everything that you might need to market yourself for your job search. And we do work with everybody from entry level all the way up to executives. Um, We do have some specialties in working with the private service industry. About one third of our business is everybody in those luxury lifestyle management roles, while the rest of everything we do are typical business professionals. Now, we also offer a special coaching program that I call our down and dirty job search. So if you ever find yourself just really struggling to find the jobs or you're not getting past the HR screening process, but maybe you've always relied on your network to help you find or generate jobs and they're just not coming through this time. uh, Another good sign that you might need some coaching is if you're gaining interviews, but you're not landing the actual job offers, and one of my passion things that I love to teach people is how to really conduct salary negotiations so that you can you know, not leave money on the table and end up getting what you're worth. So please feel free to check out our Down and Dirty Job Search. That's our comprehensive program that does everything. But we also do have smaller coaching packages, like if you only needed help with the interviews. Along those lines, if you're not sure, how your job search stacks up, or you want a professional opinion on your resume, or to find out more about how we can help you out, uh, we do offer a complimentary thirty-minute consultation. You can just come right to my website, which is personaltouchcareerservices.com. Yes, I know it's ridiculous and long, but uh, you can just Google it: personal touch career services just come to our contact page and you can book a specific time that works for you. And uh, either with myself or with my fellow coach Diga Klein, and we'll be happy to answer any questions you might have. So let's dive into our topic of today. And this is evaluating your job search. But first things first, let's talk about what a typical job search might look like. So are you finding that this sounds familiar? You just write your resume and your LinkedIn profile and then you apply to jobs. And then you wait and wait and wait. And then maybe you get an interview and then you wait and wait. And then maybe you get a job offer and then you just take it immediately because you've been waiting for so long and then hopefully you get to start your job. Does that sound pretty familiar for like what most job search strategies you've tried? Unfortunately, this is the default that most people go to because they don't know what else to do for their job search. When in fact, there's so many other things that we could be doing to make this effective, than not just lobbying our resumes at HR and hoping for the best. There's also what I call the job board black hole. Now, most people are familiar with the HR black hole where resumes go in and you know never to be seen for again, right? Nothing escapes those black holes, not even light. But as a job seeker, there's another black hole you have to look out for. And it's actually the job boards themselves. So if you ever find yourself falling in the trap of every single day you spend hours scanning those job boards, every single job board there is out there and just hoping to find something new. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, this is also the very common trap and that's why that is a black hole. We know only 20% of people are going to find a position by applying blindly through HR, or just applying to jobs that they find online. Now, we don't wanna ignore these leads because hey, 20% is still a good number, but it's not our be all end all thing that we're going to do for our job search. So we need to expand our minds. We need to just efficiently use the leads we're finding on the job boards, and then engage in all the rest of the activities that are really going to solidify the job search and make things happen. There's actually even a new trend that's coming out, it's a wonderful term they coined this week called rage applying, or as I say, raging against the machine. So what, what the heck is this? Well, this is when somebody gets really, really frustrated with their job because maybe they just got passed over again or the company's treating them like dirt again or they failed to give you a raise again so in retaliation the job seeker sits down and sends out a blizzard of resumes to any possible job that might be a possible fit and there's some problems with this is that um you don't really want to hulk out honestly it's rarely going to work in your favor. And a few reasons why. So number one, it's very difficult to track your progress when all you're doing is just like applying by instinct online. Also, the other problem with that is you are less likely to evaluate or screen the employers. So you could very easily be caught in a situation where you're jumping out of the fire or jumping out of the pan and into the fire because you're just so desperate to leave where you are, you're not being strategic about where you're moving into. And it's kind of like, you know, if you ever go through a really bad breakup, and then you're almost like sending out psychic signals to find another loser who had all the other crazy things that your past relationship told you crazy about? Same kind of thing can happen with jobs. We are literally broadcasting out to find the exact same kind of bad situations we're so desperately trying to get away from. And that's why it's so easy to ignore the red flags because you're not running towards a job you want, you're running away from something you don't want. Another one that I've noticed is what I would call depression applying. So this is probably the most demoralizing aspect of the job search, where you might've been looking for a position for a while, and now you're going, okay, nobody's gonna pay me what I'm worth, I just have to find something I'm just going to apply to anything and everything, even if it's something I'm not qualified for, even if it's just money I can barely survive on just to have something coming in the door. And then worse, you start getting rejections for these jobs that you're massively overqualified for. Now let's talk about some real numbers to figure out if your job search is being effective. So basically, these are our key performance indicators, also known as our KPIs. First one everybody should know is what is their return on investment or ROI for their applications. So our ideal benchmark is that you want to land two to three initial interviews for every 10 applications that you submit. So do you see the problem with the rage applying when you're just vastly applying to everything, you don't even know how many jobs you've applied to? How can you gauge the effectiveness of your resume when you don't know these numbers? And also note, I'm talking about initial interviews. So first screening interviews, Whether that's a phone call from the HR department or it's a recruiter on LinkedIn who's speaking with you, this is not three interviews with the same company. This is our first initial contact. So if we know we're hitting that number, two to three interviews for every 10 resumes, that lets us know the resume itself is at least being effective to get us the interview. So another number that's closely related to this is how fast are you getting your rejections? So the faster the rejections come, the more likely it is that your resume was killed by the screening computer. Specifically, if you're getting that automated rejection within 24 to 72 hours, you bombed out on the keywords. Every time you apply to a job online, you're going to be screened by computers before a human being ever reads it. And we need to have a 50 to 70% match of the keywords in the job description within your resume. If you're missing that, that's when you're getting these automated rejections. Uh, Now, if you get a rejection from like two to four weeks after you apply for a position, This means it actually did get seen by a human being. You may not have gotten the interview, but at least you survived that first level of screening. And that tells us, okay, keywords were right, the rest of the messaging within the resume or the LinkedIn profile was not, and maybe we need to make sure the responsibilities, the achievements, the education, your summary, the rest of that personal branding is on point to next time you can actually get the interview itself. Now, I know a lot of you are going, but Donna, I never hear anything. That's my HR black hole. They're not getting back to me at all. So unfortunately, when HR is doing this radio silence thing, we can't tell for sure exactly what was bombing us out whether it was the keywords or whether it was the messaging or what was it Uh, sometimes also if your LinkedIn profile is vastly different than your resume that could cause problems and they won't call you then either Uh, but if there's no response you can't really tell at all so this is why and you're going to hear me say this a lot is you have to write things down. If you don't write it down, it did not happen. We always need to be tracking along with dates of when things happened. How can you know if your resume is really bombing out if you don't know that you're getting rejections 20% of the time within 24 hours? You'd be surprised at the number of people I talk to these are the questions I always bring up in my 30 minute consultation, let's talk about your numbers, what's your ROI, what's your rejection rate, what's the speed of the rejections, how many jobs have you applied to, and people go, I've applied to a lot, and I seem to get rejected all the time. Okay, that's a feeling. That's not a hard data number. If we don't know the hard data, we cannot course correct. So If you don't write it down, it didn't happen. Let's talk about time commitments. So everybody knows you have to be putting in some actual effort and time into your job search for things to happen. So I would say plan on devoting about 20 hours a week on your job search is ideal. Now, if you're really busy, like you've already got another job, if you get your tools working very efficiently, you can cut that down to 10 hours. Uh, If this is like your full-time thing, you're hitting your job search 40 hours a week, that's all right too. I think 20 plus is a good number because then you're not getting overwhelmed with it. And it doesn't get depressing if you're not getting results. And it can also halt some of the rage applying too, right? But if you're not sure exactly what you're supposed to be doing in that time, obviously that's not all scanning job boards and not all filling out applications. This includes obviously your networking efforts, any research you're doing on hiring managers and research on potential target companies as well. All of those things are necessary to start tapping into the hidden job market. So, you know, I mentioned we don't wanna put too much time on job boards. Here's one thing that's gonna help you out a lot. Only spend a maximum of one hour a day on the job boards. Ideally, it should be less. And I know you're going, oh my gosh, but there's so many opportunities, I don't wanna miss out on this. That's why you need to use automated job search agents or job search alerts that are going to filter the new jobs to you. And even then, you don't have to jump on it the second that it appears. Slowed the process down a little bit get a little bit more analytical about what you're reading and what you're doing, and that's gonna be a better use of those leads as they are coming in. So let's talk about time. How fast after a job is posted should you be getting your application into the HR department? You need to get your application in within five business days of when that job was posted. That's a real deadline even if there is no application deadline within the job posting itself. The reason why is typical HR procedure is to leave a job open for about a week. That's when they get the majority of any candidates for any job that all comes in within the first three to five business days. So they let it run a week and then they start their screening procedures. Now, of course, if you just got bombed out by a computer, it's going to automatically reject you before that, but with human eyes on it, it's going to be that week after posting. If you see a job that's out there and it was posted 20 days ago, I would try to do things to reach out to the company, make sure that it's still active, they're still recruiting for the role, uh, just so you're not wasting your time on a job that they're already interviewing people for. Now, there is a gap in time, though, and that's when you're reaching out to hiring managers. One of the biggest things I love to teach job seekers is how do you get those decision makers? And I'm not talking about the recruiter in the HR department. and I'm not talking about the headhunter. I'm talking about your actual future boss. The person's saying the yay or nay on your application in the end you've got two to three weeks after the job's been posted to track this person down and get your resume directly into their hands. And I know you're going to go, Donna, tell me how to do that. I'm sorry. That's a no other hour presentation that I don't have time for today. So stay tuned because I do talk about that all the time, but just putting that bug there in your ear, that's always going to be when, your job search is like really going to start to increase when you're not scared to reach out to hiring managers. So why is there this weird time difference? Well, it takes HR anywhere from two to four weeks to screen the candidates, and that includes their screening interviews. So during that whole time, the hiring managers are there twiddling their thumbs going, I really need somebody to start working for me. I post, we posted this job, I want the candidates, I need to see people now. This is why hiring managers are actually open to having direct contact from job seekers because they are just as frustrated with HR as the job seekers themselves. That makes them open. And even if you do reach out to them and they don't respond or they just forward your stuff down to the HR department, No harm, no foul. That's where you were before. You literally have nothing to to lose and everything to gain by being bold and reaching out to these key people. So let's talk about how many applications you should be throwing out there a week. I would say five to 10 at the most. It's a matter of being a sharpshooter, not the shotgun approach. Many years ago, I was coaching a client, and right when we first started working together, he goes, I understand this is a numbers game. I go, what? He goes, yeah, I need to be applying to about 50 jobs a week in order to get one interview. I'm like, that is a horrible metric, and if that's what you've been doing before, we're gonna stop that behavior right now. It is always better to do a perfect job on five applications then a haphazard job on 50 applications and just spray and pray that something decent is going to fall out of the sky it doesn't work that way do the perfect job on the application and then all that extra time you would have been just lobbying generic resumes out there use that time instead to research the company and their decision makers So let's talk about networking because everybody knows what's one of the best ways to get a job, you network. So you want to hit at least one networking event per week, whether that's in person or online. So congratulations, you just made your networking goal for the week because you are here. And that's why whenever I do these Zoom meetings, I tell people, put your LinkedIn URL into the chat, follow up with people. Cause if you just show up, don't talk to anybody, just take the content and then leave, you're missing out on that whole relationship building part that's critical for your job search. Now, maybe the people you meet today are not gonna be influential or the best match for your job searching goals. That's fine. Sometimes it's about practicing doing outreach to people. It's easier to start to learn networking with those that you know are open to it. And then that gives us some of the courage as well as the skills to reach out to more cold liens, such as our hiring managers when we're moving into that phase of the job search. So big question everybody asks me, how long will my job search take? Well, there is a very real metrics that gets kicked around in HR all the time. And that is for every $10,000 in salary you want to earn, you add one month to the job search. Where are they using this formula? When they're putting together severance packages, sometimes they base the severance package on the estimated job search time, and then they cut it in half. That's where that formula comes from. So if you're looking for a job that pays $100,000, that could be a 10-month job search. That's really harsh. That's a long time to be out of work. So our clients, when they're working with us, we normally get this reduced at least by half, if not down to one to three months. You know, yeah. We did recent surveys of the clients who worked with us over the past couple of years. And we consistently see that 50 to 70% of our clients are landing jobs within the first three to one to three months of working with us. And for some, that's just getting their resume done and making sure they're getting through more screening processes and getting more interview opportunities. Um, I've also heard there's another number put out by the Bureau of Labor Statistics last year that the average job search was running anywhere from six to seven months but that's across the board. That's all industries and all experience levels. But you can imagine if you're a manager or an executive, your job search is going to take much longer than somebody in the restaurant or hospitality fields. So that's where the 10,000 comes into play. Notice too that that rule, so-called rule, is for people who are sitting back applying to jobs online and waiting for the interview. And then they wait, and then they wait for the job offer. They're not doing all the other extra activities such as tracking down the managers, the strategic networking, learning how to deal with the HR department or finding opportunities in a hidden job market. When you expand your strategies, your numbers always improve. So how about money issues? Is it prudent to spend money on your job search? Honestly, it makes sense to budget two to 3% of your target salary on expenses for your job search. So of course, you know, I'll be transparent. We sell resume writing and we do coaching. If you need help with writing, investing in a resume can make a huge difference in how many interviews you're getting. Uh, but other things might include stuff like travel expenses, your membership, so like your LinkedIn premium, or even doing some nice things for your network. It doesn't have to be very expensive grand gestures. Uh, somebody does an informational interview with you, send them a Starbucks card for 10 bucks, or invest in some nice uh, thank you cards that you actually throw in the mail with stamps. Think about it this way. Your job search is like running a business. And sometimes you have to spend a little money to make a little money. Just make sure that it fits within your budget and it makes sense on what's going to give you the biggest bang for your buck. All right, well let's talk about some tips on how to improve your job search. I'm going to harp on it again because it's so important. Don't let your efforts go to waste. If you didn't write it down, It didn't happen. Just think about that. It is so critical to write down everything that's going on with your job search. That's the secret between a top performing salesman and somebody who's just kind of coasting along at average. That average salesperson may be awesome when they're doing their presentations or writing proposals, but if they're not tracking things in their CRM system, and they do not have automatic tickers set up in their procedures to follow up with people on a regular basis, their numbers suffer. Exact same thing happens with the job search because it is that sales process. It takes so much effort to find a job, research it, tweak the resume, submit your stuff, and then wait that if you never follow up, or worse, you go, happens to that job and you like, look, and it has been four weeks since you applied, and then you reach out, it's way too late. And if you didn't follow up, it might as well have never happened. So yeah, always have your procedures in place that you're reaching back to people. One of my own favorite tips, though, is to rotate your job boards. I'm a firm believer you should not spend more than one hour a day on your job boards. So you rotate it. It might be set up to look at different boards each day. So maybe Monday, Indeed is fitting you all the IT positions. Tuesday is for LinkedIn. Wednesday is ZipRecruiter. Thursday is Dice. Friday is CareerBuilder, whatever the case may be. You can also do it if you're looking for slightly different positions. Monday is your software development roles. Tuesday, is your project manager roles. Wednesday is small, medium-sized businesses. The key here is you don't wanna look at every single job board every single day. Because what happens if you look at the same board every single day, what happens is you see the same jobs posted over and over and over again. And your brain creates a sense of scarcity, meaning it goes, uh, I never see any new jobs. All I see is the same stuff over and over. There's nothing new. There's no point in doing this. Uh, I will never get a job again. It might as well be a, a you know cashier at Walmart. This is pointless. We don't want that frustration to seep in. And when we put them one job board per day and keep it limited to no more than one hour of that day, It frees up the rest of our time for the more valuable activities, but we're not missing the leads that are being generated there. Now, if you're not getting real movement on your job search, here's some of the things that could possibly be going wrong. So, number one, the online job board job boards. Are you using them efficiently? You know, are you wasting too much time on your job boards or have you got your real job search agents like dialed in there so they're sending you quality leads that really reflect the kind of positions that you're looking for. Another thing I see people have a weakness with is the actual hidden job market. Mm -hmm. A hidden job market is any source that is not an openly posted job. So there's lots of creative avenues to start finding positions within the hidden job market whether it's coming from networking, your contacts, or just even following what your target companies are doing. Number three big problem obviously is the resume. We see tons of bad resumes and it could be everything from the formatting is wrong, meaning it's like using lots of graphics and it's making the applicant tracking systems or the ATS choke. Or maybe the keywords are wrong. There's not enough high value keywords. Or it's just not carrying a a, a really great message. And there's no achievements. Or it's for an entirely different industry. These are very common problems we see with resumes all the time. So just make sure that it's on target for the jobs you actually want, not just what you've done in the past. Another number four is your online profile, your LinkedIn profile. Is it conveying the right message? While very similar, your resume and your LinkedIn profile, they have two different purposes. So your profile is more future focused, whereas your resume is about your past and how that's relevant to the employers. So understand how they work differently but also where do they need to be mirror images or extremely similar to each other? Um, If you're not sure if your resume and your LinkedIn profile are working well together, I do encourage you to set up one of the consultations with us and, and we can take a look at that. How about outreach? Are you doing anything to track down these hiring managers? The vast majority of job seekers I talk with are not doing this piece of outreach either because they don't know how, or they feel like it's not allowed, or it's just a sense of fear and nervousness because they don't know what to say. All of these things can be taught and improved. And finally, networking. When I talk to people about networking, a lot of them just think that means hitting up the people that they already know, contacting their friends, past business colleagues, et cetera. That's great, but that's only gonna bring you the same things that you had before. If you're wanting to branch out into something new or a different opportunity, you need to reach beyond the people that you already know. And fortunately, LinkedIn has got a lot of great tools, everything from getting involved in groups to doing direct outreach for people in targeted companies that helps expand that network and get it to the point where it can be self-sustaining that's the other thing for your network are you doing anything to sustain it or are you only reaching out to the people you know when you're looking for a job it can't be all about you your network is like a garden and it needs to be cultivated on a regular basis all right let's get into the best part of our podcast which is of course we're going to talk about tattoos I don't have any rage tattoos, but I do have one that was kind of um, trolling myself, just to be honest. And while I would never consider getting it removed, I did find some interesting articles about tattoo removal because of course the whole thing has you know evolved and stuff like this. So if you're going to be careful about choosing which job you're going to go into, you should be even more careful about what tattoos you put on your body. So last uh, time we did discuss a, a lot about tattoo uh, cover-ups and just kind of replacing the design there with, by putting something else on top of it. Uh, this time we're going to talk more about the actual tattoo removal, but I'm sure you are dying to find out, Donna, how did you troll yourself with a tattoo? Well, I had this funny idea for a tattoo where it was a meme I saw. That's always a great idea, putting memes on your body. And <laughs> you can tell already not the wisest choice. But anyways, it's the face hugger from Alien. And he's like a little cartoony kind of guy. And he's holding up a sign that says, free hugs. Get it? Face hugger. Hugs your face free tattoos implant you with alien eggs it, yeah it's a joke and uh my idea though was to surround him with really pretty lilies uh so that you would kind of have to look close to see what it was not to mention i'm like very allergic to lilies of all things so it's a double deadly tattoo ha 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 so funny and i had mentioned this to one of the tattoo artists at my middle child shop. Jasmine does professional piercing, so they have worked in tattoo shops for a long time now. And I just mentioned this thing in passing and pulled up this meme and showed one of the tattoo artists and he thought that was hilarious. Uh, I did not realize he was thinking I was serious about getting this tattoo done. And then a couple of months go by and I don't think anything about it because he never made me pay a deposit or not because of course I am Jasmine's mom, of course I would be serious about this. Uh, So I go into the shop one day and I get asked, oh, when do you want to book your tattoo? I'm like, book the tattoo? I'm going, what tattoo are we talking about? And he pulls out the design and I'm like, oh, yeah, I did say that. And at this point, he's drawn up the design He's excited to do it. I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? And by the way, this is not like a tiny thing. This is like on my calf, on my left leg, like the full muscular part of the calf. It's big. So we get the tattoo put on, it looks good. He did a great job, I'll give him that. But here's why it trolls me, is uh, I actually don't like people hugging me. I'm not a hugger. But if I'm wearing things like shorts and I'm at like a convention or something, or if I'm wearing a skirt that exposes the lower part of my leg, I have had people come running from across the room because they see the sign that says free hugs and they go, oh I love hugs too! And all these strangers are hugging me because of my stupid tattoo that they are not looking at close enough to realize, that is an ironic sign on my leg. So, no, I uh, totally, totally tricked myself on that one. But if you have something out there, or a rage tattoo, or a drunken tattoo, and you don't want to get a cover-up, let's talk a little bit about what tattoo removal entails. Uh, I got this as an excellent article from Glamour Magazine, first thing I've ever read from glamour magazine just so you know written by lauren chan on september 7th 2022 so current information for you as well go check out the original article and there you go so the number one thing that this person recommends is go to a doctor for your tattoo removal or a specialist Just because the spa next to your tanning salon or whatever, like I would know, I don't do any of those kind of things. You know, just because the spa offers it, um, don't do it. In her case, she didn't have a whole lot of choices uh, and they just used an outdated heat laser that just burned and scarred her skin. So, yeah, I'd rather have a cover up at that point. So yeah, go to a doctor to get this done. And number two, it's going to take months of treatments for those tattoo removals. Uh, it could even go all the way up into a year or more depending on what you've got, how big it is, and all the rest. It takes multiple sessions for that laser to blast away the ink out of your skin. Uh, number three, it's pretty expensive to get this done. so. While your original tattoo may have only cost one or two hundred dollars, assuming it's small and you were cheap, uh, the average cost per session for this person, and according to the American Society of Aesthetic Plastic Surgery, estimates the average cost per session at $463. Woo! yeah, so if you need to have six monthly treatments at $400 Four hundred dollars a piece. That's twenty-four hundred dollars to remove your two hundred dollar dumb tattoo. So don't do that. Uh, also, familiar yourself with the process because it's going to be a little weird having just lasers go across your skin. Just uh, now, there used to be a belief that uh, colored light-colored ink was really hard to remove. They can get all the ink out of your skin, but it's not going to come out immediately. Uh, so ironically, dark colors are easier to get rid of in the tattoo removal process. Uh, light colors, green, light blue, the neo neal colors, like those trendy neon colors you see a lot lately, those are some of the ones that are hardest to get out which is kind of the opposite of getting a cover-up done because in a cover-up, black is the hardest thing to cover up and lightest colors are the easiest to eradicate. Now here's a cool tip I didn't know about is if you're going to be getting your tattoo removed, put lots of sunscreen on prior to your sessions. And I don't mean like lather on sunscreen right before you go, but a lot of times the tattoo will get more firmly oh, hooked into your skin or whatever uh once it's been exposed to the sun so if you already got this tattoo you know you don't like it you're not going to keep it start using sunscreen don't let the sun seal it in place uh, it takes a long time, each session's about 45 minutes to an hour, plus if you're getting like lidocaine because you're a wimp and you couldn't take the pain. Uh, there is some pain associated with it, but not as much as the original tattoo, um, but you know, hey, you're there with a doctor, you might as well get the painkillers right. And sorry, no, lidocaine is not a fun painkiller. It's just a topical cream that kind of helps with the area. So no you're not gonna be getting high at the doctor's office while you're getting your tattoo removal done, unless you chose to do something about that ahead of time. And I have no comments about that. Um, there's some slight discomfort after your tattoo removal procedure too. So it's gonna be banged up and sore. Imagine that, you just blasted your skin with a razor, with a laser, so yeah, of course it does. So, This writer actually even recommended it might be worth getting the cover-up tattoo instead of the full tattoo removal because the process could leave scarring afterwards. So if you finally decide that after going through this removal process, now you want to actually get a new tattoo in that same area, it's going to be harder to re-tattoo that area on your body. So, before you start the tattoo removal process, make sure this is absolutely something you never want to do again. You never want a tattoo on that side of your body, no matter what. Uh, final point here you can't always reverse all the effects of, of um tattoo or even the laser. This has to do with the issue of scarring. So, how to put this nicely if your original tattoo artist might have been a little heavy-handed or newer in the business or your aftercare on your original tattoo is not all that great and you have scarring as part of the tattoo itself uh, if you're not sure if your tattoo is scarred like run your hand over it lightly if you can feel like the ridges Uh, of where the lines are, if there's some areas that just feel a little bit more clumpy than others, you've got scarring on the actual skin itself. So even with the tattoo being removed, you might have scars that still follow the original lines of the tattoo. Uh, Not only that, even if the tattoo itself was not scarred, um, you might have scars from the lasers themselves. So, uh, just make sure 100% about the scarring, what to expect, and managing your expectations before you decide to get that tattoo removed versus getting a cover-up done. So there you go. There's my recommendations on how to treat your bad tattoos. Maybe you just learned to love them and take a look at this and go, you know what, that was an interesting choice I made in my life just like it was an interesting choice to work for that horrible, horrible company before I uh, looked for the red flags ahead of time. And uh, because you know what? In the end, the sweetness you get from that new bump in salary wears off pretty fast if the place you just moved into sucks worse than the one you came from. All right, thank you very much everybody for tuning in. Uh, If you liked what you heard, please give us a like, a follow, a comment. And if you didn't, well, please just keep it to yourself. Thanks for listening to Tattooed Freaks in Business Suits, produced by the Personal Touch Career Services. Our host is Donna Shannon. All music has been ethically sourced and licensed from sounddogs.com and epidemicsound.com. Support the arts, we certainly do. Join us next time as we continue to explore the evolving world of work and leadership in the United States. If you are interested in being a guest or if you would like to receive a complimentary career evaluation, please visit the contact page at PersonaltouchCareerServices.com. Once again, that's PersonaltouchCareerServices.com. Or you can just Google it.